Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of An Involved Review. I am your host, James Caleb Kitchens. I'm joined each and every week by none other than my co-host, straight from the SWN, the man who consumes more wrestling content than anyone in the known multiverse from all eras, even from North Korea, Caleb Soval. <laughs> yes, that is so true. Take that, Platinum. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, damn it, North Korea. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> You know, tonight, uh, the main event here tonight is is definitely the A&E Biography Legends, uh, Shawn Michaels uh, uh, documentary, which we're a little bit late on because uh, I had to take a vacation in the midst of all of, uh, you know, basically our busiest time in our existence, um, purely because WWE wants to have their own dark side of the ring. Um, <laughs> yeah. Their, their own clearly inferior dark side of the ring. Anyway, um, we, as we go into this, there's a couple things I, I want to talk about before we get into the Shawn Michaels uh, documentary. Uh, we covered the Randy Savage documentary recently. I, I have not seen the Ultimate Warrior one yet. It, it's out, but I have not seen it. I don't have A&E, and so it's very difficult for me to catch these uh, as they come out, yeah, um, I've I've seen a little bit of it. I haven't finished it, but you know I agree with what Cornette said here. It's like if Warriors is positive, which I feel like it will be, then you know they just kind of had it out for Randy. And you know we didn't talk about this in our review because we were kind of really just being objective, uh, you know, covering the content that's there. But as uh, you know, Randy's brother Lanny Poffo has come out and talked about. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things in there that are kind of just stones being thrown at Savage that he is not here to defend himself against. And a lot of people have come to his defense. Um, we did really ask, like, why in the blue hell Bubba the Love Sponge got several parts, you know, talking in the episode. Like, other than, like, somebody that insulted Randy Savage for his own profit on his radio show on a weekly basis... I don't understand what he had to contribute. And Eric Bischoff and his wife have both said that if they had seen the documentary beforehand, that they would have declined to participate in it. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could think of was, you know, Bubba the Love Sponge is friends with Hulk Hogan. Right. Always has been, always will be. And I'm sure through that, he had conversations with Randy. Right. Um, even before he started insulting him like the dumbass that he is. Right. Um, Coke Zero, everybody, not a sponsor. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I found it to be problematic. And, I, and let me just say that we, we will definitely talk about this because on our, on our next episode, we are going to compare and contrast. So uh, fortunately enough, and this was a genius idea from you, uh, you know, Dark Side of the Ring is covering Ultimate Warrior. At around the exact same time that A&E is covering Ultimate Warrior. Uh, uh, let me, uh, if I could, I don't want to say correct you on that, but here's why I really wanted to do that. Because I don't know if you know this, Ultimate Warrior's documentary for A&E was supposed to happen at the end of the season. They right. saw when Dark Side of the Ring was doing Ultimate Warrior, and so they moved it up right. for the airing. 
and and we're going to like just we're going to combine them into one episode mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of compare and contrast them. And you know, let me just say that when it comes to the two of them, I've enjoyed covering these, but Dark Side of the Ring is vastly superior in all aspects. Yeah. Because it's like with these, it's like it's like WWE made them. But they'll give you just a little bit more than WWE would give you, just so it's edgy. But it's still the WWE story. It's still slanted the way that Vince McMahon would like history to remember you. Yeah, now, that, that's very apparent when you have in every single documentary that they do now, there's Sam Roberts, Paul Rosenberg, or Bruce Pritchard. The I mean I mean to be fair, Bruce Pritchard's in a lot of Dark Side Ring episodes too. Because That's Bruce Pritchard has a lot of insight, and I, I and I, yeah, him I'm okay with. I don't I don't want to get into whether we personally like Bruce Pritchard or not, but but Paul Rosenberg is famous literally for being a wrestling fan, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and Sam Roberts makes up the stupidest thing. Like, okay, he he when they talked about beware of dog on the network and everything, you know, where the power went out and everything, he goes, he goes, I did not he said, I wanted I paid for that to see the ringmaster and Savio Vega. I did not get to see that match. I'm like, no, you didn't. Right. Yeah. No, you didn't the whole thing, I mean. Anytime they're on there, it's just so cringe to me because I'm like, they could have gotten Cornette, but they won't. No. Because Vince McMahon would, you know, turn over early in his in his non-existent grave if <laughs> Jim Cornette were to appear as this all-knowing person in wrestling, which he is. I mean, love him or hate his opinions, yeah. but he knows a shit ton about pro wrestling, probably, yeah. possibly more than anyone alive. And then, you know, it's uh, they could have got Scott Norton. We know that now. <laughs> like, like, geez, I would have. I mean, anytime they, anytime any of these guys are on there, I'm just like, I, well, I could have given them that perspective. Yeah, I could have done that. You, you could have done better in yeah. a lot of these instances than these guys. I think I could have too. I don't want to toot my own horn, but like, I, I know like random people that just casually like wrestling that would have had the same insight as he. Uh, as these guys, I just don't, I'm not a fan of the way that they, that, that, that some of these, it's like you watch the documentary to get the perspective of the people in the know and to hear it from an angle that you haven't heard it from. Yeah. And we just don't get a lot of that in these. Like the reason I really love the Booker T and, and the Roddy Piper episodes is because they were chock full of, things that we were not familiar with before or things that had not really been covered. Yeah. But when you talk about the Austin, uh, I'm sure the Foley one is probably going to suck. Uh, You talk about this, the one that we're going to talk about tonight, the Shawn Michaels one, there's like two or three little tidbits just over the edge of what they'll tell you. I mean, the most interesting parts of the Shawn documentary to me, besides Marty Janae's crazy ass, was... Uh, the stuff that they showed of him today in NXT, that stuff was great because we don't get to see that. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. And here's here's the other thing I really just this is what I cannot stand that Paul Rosenberg and Sam Roberts do. They talk about it like they were there. 
Like, like they're going like uh, this Shawn Michaels thing. It's just like, it's just like at this point in time in his life, he was this and that. And I'm like, how do you know? You read it in a book somewhere. Like I could have done. You looked it up on Wikipedia. Exactly. Like, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, and, and, you know, going back to that in the Randy Savage episode, how many people were in that documentary? So many. Sam Roberts is like, look, man, so Collision in Korea, Inoki and Flair in the dressing room, they're getting ready for the match. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no possible way you could have even been on the continent. <laughs> like, um, it just, it, 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 it I, I just, every time I see them, it just makes me want to turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to just not finish it. I'm just like, no, I don't want to finish this now. After watching this episode, I tell you what I want. If WWE wants me to watch something, give me a, a one hour NXT behind the scenes every week of, of just Shawn Michaels going over the show with, with them in the back. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I like that. And by the way, I, I know you say that the Mick Foley one may suck, but I'm still looking forward to that one because I'm a huge fan of uh, the hardcore legend. <laughs> The Mick, the quality of the, I will judge the quality of the Mick Foley documentary solely by how much Terry Funk is in it. Yeah, that, and I, I'll be, uh, I'll be interested to see how much they talk about his uh, uh, Japan run. I, I want them to talk about how when he just faced the Undertaker, it would everyone just automatically just you know assume that there would be no rules. <laughs> I know, right? Like every time. But it's we, like it's like well we're just throwing all the rules out today. It, it, anyway, we digress. Uh, yeah. Before we get in, uh, into the nitty gritty on the Shawn Michaels, um, you did want to talk about this. So um, live crowds were back at WrestleMania, and I think night one especially that made it, it. It felt like this amazing thing because we haven't seen wrestling with real audience members in a long time. There was still piped in crowd noise, and it was louder on the second night. Uh, not for the Hogan segment, though. They booed his ass, but <laughs> uh, as they should have, um, because he's a piece of shit. But anyway, uh, the whole thing, you know, it, it, it felt special, even though if the live crowds are back, and I predict, I mean, I know AEW is not going to do it, but I predict that WWE will still pipe in crowd noise forever. Yeah, they they, they probably will, but... I wanted to talk about this because, um, as you know, I'm a big sports fan. I like live sports. And one of my favorite sports is hockey. And they're right now, they are in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, think about this. All throughout the season, right, and all of last season, they did not have crowds. So right here, when the Stanley Cup playoffs happen, they're letting in crowds. I watched tonight the New York Islanders versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, and there was a sequence for about, I want to say about 15 minutes or so of hockey where it was just awesome. The yeah. crowd was literally getting into everything. I mean, they were they were yelling stuff. They were, every time there was a big hit, they were going nuts and stuff like that. And when the and when the home team scored the goal, they came unglued and everything, dude. It was awesome. 
I mean, it was awesome to see that again. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, this is hockey doing this. Now imagine what pro wrestling is going to be like again. I guarantee you AEW sells out every show that they do. WWE will sell out every show that they do. And those crowds will be rampant. They will sell out Raw and SmackDown. I don't think they'll sell out I, any house shows. Okay, well, I didn't realize that they were also doing house shows. I guess I, I didn't see all of that. But, dude, not just wrestling, you know, sports, concert venues are starting to open back up, which means comedy clubs are going to open back up and stuff like that. And especially here in Atlanta where you have that stuff almost like 24-7, um, I can't wait for it, man. Um, I'm excited. And look, I know that we've gone on here and we're going to talk soon about the upcoming AEW pay-per-view. We're going to review it and stuff like that. And look, people have had their problems with this storyline or this and that and that. And I truly believe, I believe the product will be better now that there will be a live crowd. I'm not saying that it will change it completely because there might still be some stuff that you might not agree with and stuff like that. But I think a lot of I think a lot of it has been lackluster at best because of the no crowds. Case in point, I think I brought this up before we started recording, right? Orange Cassidy. We, we've talked about how popular he was, especially when they had, you know, the crowds and stuff like that. And I think that they were going to make him like they were going to make him a really big star, obviously. Then the pandemic happened and it's like, well, we'd like to wait on his push. We'd like to wait till we get crowds back. But to be honest, no one knew when we were going to get crowds. We didn't know if it was going to be another year or so. You know, like we, we just no one had a clue. So they had to go with what they had to go with. And I think that's I think that's for a, a large part of it. Now, I'm not saying all of it, but it's not just AEW and WWE, mind you, that are going back live. Also, Ring of Honor just said that they're allowing fans back um, at best in the world when they do uh, their pay-per-view coming up. So they're going to be allowed in uh, in Baltimore MLW is going back to live crowds. Their very their next event is going to be uh, at the Philadelphia Arena, the twenty three hundred building. So, uh, it, it dude, it's awesome. I can't wait for it. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to. Uh, I've never been to the new Brave Stadium. I'm, when they play the Padres, I'm going to go. I'm not a big fan of baseball, especially not watching it live. I think it's really boring. But I am going to go to a game just because. It, the, the stadium's 10 minutes from my house uh and uh you know it's like it's it's an experience it's something i want to do um well that's know. funny because i'm going to a braves game in a couple of weeks as well and i'm you excited about it because i love uh sports games and uh going to like attending them live gives you such a different feeling yeah i feel like most of them that's true like, I don't like football, but, like, I've gone to a Georgia game and really enjoyed myself. I feel mm -hmm. like baseball is not – I feel like it's just not true. I feel like baseball is worse live than it is on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just me. I mean, it might just be me. Um, but, you know, I have a very lengthy response to the AEW thing. Uh, but I think I'm going to save it for the review uh, when we talk about the pay-per-view because I want to basically talk 
Uh, I want that. I want us to cover that in depth, and I want to talk about AEW at length and kind of what the return of crowds are going to be for them specifically. So, um, yeah, that's right. I'm Netflix blue ballsing you all. You have to tune in to the review. Next episode of Dragon Ball Z, you have to tune into the AEW review next week. We'll get it out to you as quick as we can. But that being said, hey, Dragon Ball Z fans. Hey, and I tell you what, you know, um, indie wrestling is also back open. So go buy some damn tickets and support some indie wrestling. That being said, uh, we are now, uh, we're going to talk about um, the A&E original biography, WWE Legends, Shawn Michaels. What a mouthful paragraph of a title for an episode of television. <laughs> um, okay, so listen. Um, first thing I want to talk about, man. Very early in this episode, uh, very early, Ric Flair, who many consider to be the greatest of all time, says... Straight up, Shawn Michaels, bell to bell, best of all time. Now listen, I am on that same bandwagon. I think Shawn Michaels, in ring, I think he is the greatest performer of all time, and I don't think it's close. Stone Cold agrees, Ric Flair agrees. So if if Stone Cold, the man who's drawn more money than anybody in the history of the professional wrestling business, and Ric Flair, the guy who many consider to be the greatest of all time, you yep. know, both agree on this. Nope. I, I think that's open and shut case, man. Yeah, I mean, and and here's the thing. I like the fact of, and people kind of gloss over this. They think that when, when they say that, they're saying he's the greatest of all time. They just said, no, he's the greatest in-ring performer. Where it's like, if you wanted a good match, you put Shawn Michaels out there. If you wanted your main event to go well, you put Shawn Michaels out there because you knew he was going to give a good match regardless against who it was. That doesn't mean he was the greatest of all time because as we know, and as they kind of cover in this, he didn't draw the most money. He wasn't right. technically a drawing champion. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, he's not the greatest character of all time. Right. That's, that's Undertaker. He's not the greatest draw of all time or even the greatest ring presence of all time. That's Austin, Hogan, Rock. He's not the, you know, he's not the guy who is going to cut the greatest promo of all time. That's, you know, your your Flair, uh, you know, your Rock, your Austin. I mean, pretty much any of the big names on there. Hell, um, Heyman, Cornette and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Heyman, Cornette, Savage. Um, you know, there's that. But when that bell rings, and that's not saying he's even the most technical wrestler of all time, because you've got Styles, you've got Angle, you I mean, you know, you've got Malenko, uh, Guerrero. I mean, however, when it comes to being a sports entertainer, I think that there is, I don't even think it's close. Because Shawn Michaels, they talk about in his early childhood, they talk about how he had put these little matches together. That's not what most children do when they're talking about becoming a professional wrestler. When you're a little kid, you're like, yeah, man, I'm going to be the world champion. I'm going to go out there and beat up everybody. You know, that's what that little kids are coming up with, like, cool storylines for themselves and shit. 
and like the things they're gonna accomplish. They're not they're not jotting down five star matches on notepads. I guarantee you those matches were probably amazing. Probably. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I know people that have been in the wrestling business for almost five years that aren't doing that. Yeah. That are still thinking, like I said, a child would think about getting into pre- professional wrestling <laughs> and not thinking the way that Shawn Michaels was thinking at, like, what, age 12, 13, something like that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I Like, I don't even do that myself, and I consume more wrestling content than probably Shawn Michaels did. Maybe not more than he consumes now. Maybe. He watches Probably. a lot of NXT, bro. A lot. Probably. Um, we open here with him the Performance Center, which I thought was an amazing touch. I yeah. thought that was a great touch. It was such a, like, first off, he doesn't even look like the same guy. No. Which is important. And I think it's Adam Cole, which I appreciated his presence here greatly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I loved him and Gargano in here. And I think Adam Cole said it's like he's sitting there talking to you and it's like he doesn't know he's Shawn Michaels. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that would be so nerve-wracking for me, man. Like, you know, I try not to mark out for the talent, but he's Shawn Michaels. It's like if he's sitting there trying to tell me something, dude, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay attention to what he's actually saying. I'm going to be sitting there like, look, Shawn Michaels. (laughs) He's right there. You know, it's probably the way they felt when Dusty Rhodes was there. Like so many people were like, oh, my God, like Dusty Rhodes is talking to me about my match. Like, well, you weren't you weren't going to be able to follow that conversation anyway. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Dusty. It was Dusty. You weren't going to be able to follow that conversation. But but it still would have been amazing. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing I've ever experienced to that is like Christopher Daniels trying to talk to me in the back. And, like, it's all I can do to just, like, look them dead in the eyes and completely force my brain to talk about, to think about what he's saying and process it and not look like a complete bumbling idiot. <laughs> and that was hard. And I can't imagine doing it with Sean fucking Michaels every day. It's like you come to work and it's like, oh, hey, Sean. You know? I didn't know you were, I didn't know you were marking out that much to uh, Christopher Daniels that night. That's because I'm a goddamn professional and no one no one would have been able to tell on the outside, but inside, completely losing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, that's my little pat on the back for myself. Hey, I think I've gotten better at that. I used to be terrible at that when I walked into the business, but I've gotten better about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree entirely. Um, but that you know, everybody kind of has that transition into the business. Of course. Um you know, and, and so right after they show us what he's doing today in NXT, uh, you know, and Flair even says this. Flair's like, he was the best, but he was a dick, you know. <laughs> and, you know, so then we kind of flash back to Sean. He's, and, you know, folks, I don't want to spend forever talking about the highlights that we all know about, right? I mean, we've, it's kind of like with Austin, like some of this stuff we've heard a million times. His father thought wrestling was a joke. His parents didn't want him to do it. Finally, you know, that he talks him into it. He starts training with uh, Jose Lothario. Um, Jose gets him a job at uh, what was it, Texas All Star Wrestling? Yeah. Or, or no, it was it was uh, Mid South. Yeah, and yeah. Then he went to Texas All Star, and then he went to the AWA for a bit, and that's where 
you know, so he was teamed up with with Janetti, uh in, in NWA a little bit, and then when he goes to AWA, they team him back up with Janetti as yeah. the Midnight Rockers. Now Janetti's presence here was <laughs> fantastic, and and not in like a Scott Norton kind of way. I mean, like oh. in a in a New Jack or Nick Gage kind of way. Uh, or a Two Cold Scorpio kind of way, except way worse because Marty Jannetty has. I, I'm here's my thing, man. I am shocked that they had Marty Jannetty come on this thing. Marty Jannetty has said and done some shit on social media. Look, look, listen. This this may be the harshest thing I've ever said on this program. Marty oh, Jannetty wow. is going to get a Dark Side of the Ring episode. <laughs> oh wow so, so that was more harsh than what you said about tony deppin well i'm just saying dead or alive marty Janetti's getting a, a damn dark side of the ring episode so, i'm sure he will eventually yes uh, and, um, tony yeah. deppin will be forgotten and live on only through me insulting him on this podcast um anyway uh <laughs> that, that being said yeah i mean I really, I, I was glad they had Janetti on here, not because I respect him in any way, but because <laughs> he was very entertaining to watch. I mean, he was very entertaining to just see him kind of like his responses to things, you know? Yeah. He, you know, it, it was just like, they don't want to have video of Sean being like, yeah, man, we stayed out all night and did a bunch of pills and cocaine like every day. So they had Marty Janetti do it. Yeah, of course they did. Uh, it's kind of like his old documentary that, that Sean had. <laughs> yeah, but Janetti like was all there at least. Yeah, he was. This one, no, he wasn't. And um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Didn't he like a couple of years ago, maybe or um, last year at some point? Didn't he like confess that he murdered someone on social media? He confessed that he murdered someone. Yeah. He also put pictures up of him actually doing blow. Uh, he also put up photos that he had to take down where he was like, I tried to hook up with this girl's mom, but I took her home instead. And the girl in the photo is not 18. There ain't no way in hell. So, Janetti has done a bunch of shit that you can go to prison for on social media. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he will more than likely get a Dark Side of the Ring episode. I'm he, not sure when, but... He, he will. He will. He will. Season four through six. Somewhere yeah. in there. <laughs> Depends on if they want to, um, if they want him on the episode or not. Uh, so I'm surprised he's alive, to be honest. Dude, me too. Me I, too. I, I'm really surprised. Yeah, and, how, and, and that's terrible to say, but I'm really, but I mean, dude. So here's a story for you, real quick, before we move on. Here's a story about Marty Janetti. I worked for. Um, uh, I work for, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, uh, Watchmen Broadcasting in North Augusta, right? It's an all-Christian TV station. Um, I was the director of a show called Club 36, and we had a guest on there who was a pastor or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but um, 
he worked with this place where Marty Janetti apparently was a part of. I don't know if he was a part of this church or if he just knew Marty Janetti. Like, he wasn't very clear on that. But he proceeds to tell me that Marty Janetti had, or he goes, he goes, dude, this dude comes up to me and he says, hey, man, I'm in a bad way. Like, I've had sex with all these girls. I've also had sex with guys for this stuff. And I've done all this and that. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was Marty Janetti. I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting individual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was doing the whole like Christian like spokesman thing for a while until probably somebody caught on to the you know the whole gig there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the con rather. Uh, but yeah, I mean. <sighs> He has been, all I'm thinking is like, how the fuck did this guy outlive New Jack? <laughs> I know, man, dude, I, real quick, I couldn't believe that when I heard it, I was like, holy crap. Like, yeah. I was like, what the fuck killed New Jack? You know, <laughs> a damn heart attack. Only New Jack could kill New Jack. That's it. Like only his own heart could take him out. Uh, but, but seriously though, I'm like, how the fuck? I Marty Janetti's got to have done more cocaine than New Jack. Like he's fucking sixty-one. New Jack was fifty-eight. Anyway, uh, that and being said, more than cocaine. That being said, these guys team up. They finally get hired by WWF at the time. Immediately get fired because of <laughs> this damn bar incident. Um. Now you know they talk about after this man. They went. You know they had a rough time, and. You know, they talk about when they were, you know, like Sean said, you could get half your paycheck in blow from the booker. Yeah. Which is madness. And he said, and we did that all the time. And now, you know, we've kind of known that Sean had a drug problem, but I think this is the first time where he's openly kind of talked about like him doing cocaine and shit on the regular you know, back in, you know, before they just kind of like, yeah, you know, he was on drugs and like they kind of beat around the bush a bit i think so but i mean like probably he didn't even want to talk about it that much like he's like yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i can understand why why you wouldn't want to talk about that too you know right so he comes back to the you know, the two of them come back to wwe um they're they're doing the rockers gimmick for a bit and they do that for a few years and finally you know, they realize that, hey, Sean is the golden goose in this tag team. And this was so, this turn is so famous that now when, you know, there's a member of a tag team that sucks and isn't going to make it, he's called the Marty Janetti of the team. Uh, you know, and this, this is the most famous tag team breakup of all time, I would say. Yes, I agree completely. Uh, that segment, because it was so different for WWE at the time. You had never seen someone slam someone like that into a glass. And it was very violent for at the time. And WWE wasn't being that violent. So um, it, it it's talked about um, like that in, in instance. But here's my thing, right? 
I get everyone talks about Marty Jannetty was the failure, but let's keep in mind that the original plan was for was for uh, Marty Jannetty to face Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania Nine at Caesar's Palace. Now, not then when they did the breakup, but when he came back, that was what they were setting up for, and they had done it really well. Like Shawn Michaels was doing the whole looking in the mirror, you know, fixing his hair and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, this was such a cool camera shot. The the mirror turns and it's Janetti in the background. And it was such a cool shot. I was like, oh, that's so good. And they got a Royal Rumble match out of it, which was really good. But the plan was for them to go to WrestleMania and have Janetti go over Michaels for the Intercontinental title. That didn't yeah. happen because of Janetti's struggles and stuff like that. You know, demons reared its ugly head at that time. And you wonder, had Janetti, had, had the plan actually gone through, maybe Janetti might have, I don't know if he, he wouldn't have done what Shawn Michaels did. But he might have been a little better off. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a bad performer or anything. Yeah. When he, when, dude, even in the later years, when he came back and wrestled Kurt Angle, yeah. when they were doing the build-up to him and Sean, uh, which I consider the greatest match of all time. If you didn't know that, go check out the episode we did on it. Um, but yeah. that, that being said, when he wrestled Kurt, everyone was blown away. Because it was like Kurt was doing those challenges. It was kind of genius the way they did it. Because he was doing those ankle lock challenges or whatever, and like in a in a you know like at less than a minute that he would make the person tap, and then Janetti like went toe to toe with them. They had a, like a match, yeah, and and everybody was like, oh dang, he still has it. And then it was like, are they gonna bring him back? Like, is he gonna make a return too? And then it was like, nah. They probably like gave him a drug test and was like, nah. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, so Michaels gets suspended for having steroids in his system. Uh, we will be talking about the steroid trial at length in a later episode because Dark Side of the Ring will be covering it, and everyone is excited for that. Um, yeah, but here's the interesting thing, and and, and uh, this doesn't go with the steroid trial or anything like that at length, but Sean is still even after all of that, you know, after him just basically telling everything is still adamant that he did not do steroids. Like, like he's just like, I don't know how you found steroids in my system because I didn't do them. And if you look at him, you wouldn't be able to tell he would, would be doing steroids. You know, he doesn't look like someone who was doing steroids. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's kind of on, you know, he talks about this a lot, and Sean is really the guy that broke this barrier um, with the small guys in wrestling. You know, back then it was like the idea that someone his size could be the WWF champion was completely ludicrous. Yeah. It was insane to even think about that. So, you know, you got Sean, you know, he's doing everything he can. And I'm not saying that that, like, you know, I'm not saying that excuses the you know the fact that he was doing it but it you know it's still that pressure was on him you know to to bulk up and be as big as he could um 
you know, that being said, um, we have the infamous ladder match against Razor Ramon. Everyone knows about this. I don't, I don't really feel the need. Um, however, you know, we talk about the WrestleMania 12 match, the Iron Man match, which is naturally the next big milestone. And, you know, one of the things that I really thought about watching this is it's like, back in this era, WWE, every few years or so, you would just get this match that was just so special, you know, and had this intricate build. And where is that today? Uh, it's called three hours every Monday, two hours Friday, two hours Tuesday, and then a whole network. You know, but it's like, it still feels like they could build up to these incredible, like, epic matches. I mean, you, you know, you, you know we, we talk a lot about uh, Sasha and Bianca, which still, to me, I mean, love that match. But it's like... Yeah. The build-up for it wasn't great. We all wanted to see it because we know the two of them can go. Yeah. The the, the build-up was ass. Like, it wasn't well thought out or anything. And then after that, it just fizzled all out. But for that one, for 20 minutes, we knew that we were going to get to see them perform. And it was the main event, and it was incredible. And th that's, like, the best they could give us. And, and it's like, you know, you look at Sean's career and you're like, this is just Sean. This is just Sean. And you look at the buildup to things like the first Hell in a Cell, which they didn't even talk about. And, or, you know, uh, the or the, the ladder match or the, you know, or this, the Kurt this Angle, Or the Kurt Angle buildup. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's what made that matchup even so good in the first. Or... The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels 25 match, Heaven versus Hell. The buildup for it was tremendous. And hell, the they, they built up to the second one for a year. Yeah, they did. That's uh, the first time I ever recall them setting a matchup a year in advance. Other than Rock and Cena. Well, that happened afterwards. I was going to say, that was after. Yeah, yeah, that happened afterwards. Yeah. Because we were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it made me sad. But, you know, we know now after Dark Side of the Ring that it's like, for this Iron Man match going into it, Sean was like babied by the office. They gave him all this time off all this time to just train and then like Brett's out here defending the title. He's working, you know, Yokozuna, Hogan, like, like everybody, like he's just working person after person after person. Uh, well, not Hogan at the time, right? Yeah, not I was during about this to era. say Hogan. Um, he, Hogan. he did, he, he did work with Hogan, but not during this time. Um, uh -uh. And, and, and so, you know, he's working all these people uh, in this era and it's like Sean's making, you know, inspirational training videos at home leading up to this match. And they didn't even talk about that here. I guess that's over the line uh, for, for a WWE documentary. Yeah. Um, I, and here was the thing, too. Brett, and I'm sure we'll probably go over this for Brett's documentary as well, but Brett was having some of his best matches at this point. I mean, he had a match uh, a few months before WrestleMania, the Iron Man match with uh, uh, the British Bulldog that I went back and I watched. 
and it was incredible. I loved it. It was great. He even had a great match with Diesel. And the only one who's ever been able to say that they had a great match with Diesel was Shawn Michaels. Agreed. Like, like that no-holds-barred match that they had it in your house, that match is awesome. I don't care what anyone says. Like, it's so good. I mean, it, it, and that was the thing. Yeah, Shawn Michaels, he was really uh, baby by the office. And it's funny, right? Because Vince McMahon, a year before the, all of that, Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson were the real big advocates of Shawn Michaels. They were like, look, we're telling you, this guy's good. You need to push him to the moon and stuff like that. You need to put the title on him, Vince. Like, they suggested that. This was Vince McMahon's reaction. And Bruce Pritchard says this, and I quote, he says, Shawn Michaels will never be the world champion. Do not bring it up again. Don't even mention it. He will not be a baby face. He will not be a champion. It will not happen. And then a year later, Vince McMahon goes, am I the only one who sees we have a baby face on our hands? <laughs> That's Vince. It's not a good idea until Vince thinks it's a good idea. And Pritchard just goes, are you serious? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's it. That's Vince McMahon in a nutshell. It's it's not a great idea until it's his idea. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that uh, because, uh, you know, also the only good matches that Goldberg's ever had involved Shawn Michaels and then also Bret Hart. Uh, so... DDP? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah I, I was just making a joke about, you know, him <laughs> kicking Bret Hart in the head. And oh, well, hurt. yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, Goldberg, <laughs> DDP, Halloween Havoc. You don't have to tell me. I love that match. Yes. Um, DDP is underrated. Uh, so let me say this because, all right, so, you know, Michaels, you know, we all know the story. He he, he gets the Ironman match. And the, the thing about that Ironman match, you can't do it today. Like, I know people try, but let's be real honest. One-hour matches do not get over today. That no. people's attention spans aren't there. I mean, mine, mine too. Like, I love that match between him and Brett, but like, I'm not going to go. I, I've watched it like three or four times, but I'm not going to like sit down and watch it on a regular basis. And there's nobody today that I want to watch wrestle for an hour. I just don't. Like, I think a 20, 30 minute match is fine. Um, I just, you know, I would much rather see like a two out of three falls or something like that. Um, or, like, I mean, a 30-minute Ironman match, it's, like, that's still long. But it's, like, is it an Ironman match, though, if it's 30 minutes? I don't know. Um, I, dude, I have different thoughts about the Ironman match, to be quite honest, because I look back on it, and here was what the match was missing. It was missing that sense of kick out at any time, you right. know? Like, it's missing, like, you live for basically the one, two, three, everyone goes nuts, or even the tap out and stuff like that. And you can't do that with an Iron Man match until, like, the last five minutes, you know, kind of thing. It just, I don't know, like, I would have preferred them just to have a regular match. 
I, I just, I, I kind of would have preferred that. I'm not saying that the match wasn't good. The match was great, but I'm saying that I thought that it should have just been a regular match, but that's just me. And I don't mind if you go to an hour long time limit draw where it's like you have the people invested in the match that they don't even realize that it's been an hour kind of thing. Like the time limit, you know, went past it. Like, for example, CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, Ring of Honor. Those are, you know, two of their matches are hour-long draws, but you didn't know that going in. Right. But if you but if you say to the audience, okay, this match is going to be an hour, well, then fans might kind of be like, Ugh, do we really want to watch that for an hour? Right. And that's kind of the thing, is too, is it's like, You'd never see me book an Iron Man match at a show. Mm-hmm. Because, like, nobody wants to see that. They just don't. I mean, they just don't. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, like, in a two out of three falls or, like, a three stages of hell or something like that, it's like you've put constraints and limits on it. And, you know, if you want to have a good match that goes 30 minutes or something, then fine. But, like, you know, you have to, you have to know, like, you have to feel the crowd. Ten minutes in, if the crowd is losing their shit... And you're like, let's get them higher and higher. And they keep responding to what you're doing. Fine. But you have to have veterans in the ring who will sense that crowd start to go down and go, all right, well, we have to take it home now. Yeah. And so that's where it comes in. And yeah, if you set it at an hour, you're stuck. If if you get it to 15 minutes and that match is a stinker, you can't just be like, ah, well, you know, we're going to take it home now. You got to go an hour. So yeah. I agree with you. It's it you're You're putting too many limits on yourself it was amazing for this but it's like i think this should have been the only one honestly i think that like as much as i like the match i think michael's had better matches and i think oh yeah i think brett had better matches and you know we don't we don't need to go into whole dx tyson angle i mean you know we know from the undertaker documentary this is kind of the coolest thing about this we know that undertaker was on the other side of the curtain and he's like, if Sean doesn't drop this belt, I'm going to go out there and he's going to drop that belt. <laughs> and they didn't, I thought they would talk about that here, but they didn't. Uh, and even though they had Taker on, which I really appreciated. But let me just say this. I think Sean's the best. I think if you just consider his career 2002 until he retired, I think he's that's the better run, man. That's the better run. He well, was better in the second half. He just was. Because he had a clearer head. He had a clearer head. He had a much better view of the business. It's like he didn't have his... He he wasn't this guy that nobody knew that was trying to prove himself. He wasn't going through all the drugs and all this other stuff. He was a guy who was given a second chance to go back and have what he should have had to begin with. Yeah. And, and that's so powerful. And like... I did, you know, I was a WCW guy. You know this, and I know you were too. My Shawn Michaels is 2002 Shawn Michaels, and beyond. It's not. I don't. I I watch the the you know the old Shawn, and I'm like, I don't really know. Like I know that's Shawn, but it's just like it's not the same guy. Yeah, and and I mean they make that apparent on this uh, documentary. Like like they basically say if you look like. There is a lot of people who worked back then with Shawn Michaels 
who see him now today and they're just like, I can't believe that's the same guy. Because apparently he was terrible to deal with. Yeah. I mean, and but he'll even tell you that himself that he was. I mean, he was a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. But, you know, you have to give him credit for turning his life around. You do. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he came back for that second run, man, because it has some of my favorite matches of all time in it. I, I agree. And, dude, some people talk like they didn't like the second run of DX. And I disagree completely. I thought it was great at times. Like, I loved the DX versus the McMahons. Yes, that was great. Um, I really liked the uh, Shawn Michaels and God versus uh, Shane. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was hilarious because only Shawn could have pulled it off, you know. And then like leave leave it to Vince McMahon, who's like, I think you know, I I I can face God and win. You know, I, it, I will say he Vince McMahon cut some of the most classic promos I've ever seen during that run. Like when he was standing there in the church. Yes. And he goes, blessed be the name of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I I just, I lost it. I, I did think that was funny, but I, I wouldn't, I don't think it's a good idea to have on pay-per-view Shawn Michaels and God versus the McMahon, or the father and the son and the Holy Spirit squad. <laughs> Dude, it's a crazy, ridiculous WWE thing, but I liked it. I mean, I understand that it's horrible, but I just, I liked it. I just liked it. <laughs> I, I would never book it. It's a ridiculous angle. Uh, say hello to my cat, everybody. You can see him way, way more clearly than usual. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, that I just, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> so we get into the comeback. They didn't really talk about the DX return a lot in this. They talked about the original DX. Um, I did, I wasn't a huge fan of the return, but mostly because like it, it felt like, okay, so we had heel triple H in his prime and then we had face Shawn Michaels in his prime and it was like. Yes, the two of them together are incredible, right? And, you know, them doing the super kick into the pedigree, amazing. But it was also like, it felt like we're taking two of the best tools we have and we're putting them together. And so now they can only be on one segment. And it's like, well, I would rather see Sean off doing this or I would rather see Hunter off doing that. So that was my, like, kind of issue with how long it lasted, you know, but but they did some amazing angles in there. They beat the ever-loving shit out of the Spirit Squad. They did. <laughs> so many times. They did, and they have one of my favorite Hell in a Cell matches, which is the handicap match with the McMahons at the Big Show versus DX in the Hell in a Cell. Yeah. And it is brutal. It is. It even, really is. Even with the most ridiculous spot I've ever seen in a wrestling match, which is where they pantsed Big Show and they shoved McMahon's head up his ass. What would I just say? Right. <laughs> Statement. Um, they talk about the Flair retirement. I loved that they talked about that. Um. 
man, you know, that moment, and, and I agree with Flair on this, is like, that moment is so special. Like, if you're a wrestling fan, there's no way you can watch that match. Like, after the documentary, I went and watched that match. Yeah. It's so good. And Sean does carry him, but, like, it, it's just such an incredible moment. It, and I remember watching that live and tearing up because it was like, the book was just closed. I mean, unfortunately, it wasn't really closed. But the book, what at the time, we thought the book was closed on a very special career of which there will never be another. You know, there will never be another Ric Flair. No, absolutely not. He's a once-in-a-lifetime. And, and the send-off that they gave him the night after, that might have been one of the best Raws I had seen in years. And then he went to TNA and wrestled Hulk Hogan in a uh, winner gets a new hip replacement match. <laughs> that that shit was hard to watch. Anyway, uh, when they covered the Flair retirement, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, well, they, did, they didn't talk about Angle, but that damn sure means, and then the next screen that comes up, WrestleMania 25, and I said, yes, please, because I, I thought for a minute that they were going to go off without talking about the, the Taker match, and I was so glad that they talked about this because, I mean, to so many people, it's the greatest wrestling match to ever happen. It, it's, dude, it's hard to argue because you just, you go and you watch, I say it, I say it because when I watched that live, I legit did not know who was going to win that match. Right. I, when you watch that match, you have no idea, and you almost don't know who you're rooting for. I, right. I remember the buildup to that match, and I remember thinking, okay, well, you know, I, if, it, if somebody's going to beat the streak, I would love for it to be Sean. Yeah, and, and I didn't really think in my head, and that this is one of the crazy things about how about him retiring when he did, is Sean did the thing that no one in wrestling does other than like Steve Austin, and when he was no longer in his prime, or when he felt like he could not be in his prime rather for very much longer, he left. Yeah, I think Sean. I mean, just like when Austin Austin could have wrestled five more years full time schedule. You Hell, so? I'm, dude, here's the thing, man. In 2015 like, or whenever, when he was doing Tough Enough, you remember when they brought Tough Enough back and had yeah. Austin host it? Yeah. Austin yeah. said then, he said, I could work a full schedule for two years. And that was then. That was like way, like 10 years after he retired. Yeah, that's uh, true. Now, I don't, I don't think, here's the thing. I think Austin could have had, you know, nobody did this back then, but if they would have put Austin on the taker schedule or like a schedule like AJ's doing now where it's like, you know, if like he just has to do SmackDown and pay-per-views, I think Austin could have had a, quite a few more years of being at the top. But like that wasn't how it was back then. You had to be at Raw. You had to be at SmackDown. You were the marquee at the house show. You were the draw there. You know, it was like they can't take Stone Cold off like, even if he's not going to wrestle, he has to be there. He's got to come out and stun somebody, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and and Michaels, when he came back in 2002, man, he basically worked a full-time schedule for that whole rest of the time until he retired. I mean, him and, 
him and Jericho feuded for forever. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the best feuds, man, is all the Michaels and Jericho stuff. I mean, they had the match at 19, and that's what everybody really, like, remembers. But, man, when he came, when Sean, you know, had the feud with Jericho, when he was doing the suit thing, when they were doing Jericho and all that, man, they had some. Yeah, they had some amazing matches. That ladder match they had for the championship. Where, where, he, uh, where Jericho punched his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um incredible, man. Uh Oh yeah, great stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, just amazing. Like Michael's definitely had some Dude, the match that he had with Triple H, even his matches with Triple H. Uh, All of them. The the even the chamber matches. Yeah, the chamber matches, but dude, the Hell in a Cell match that he had with Triple H. Oh my god, that's still one of my favorites as well. Um, and also the match that he had, the return match at that SummerSlam that they talked about where, you know, Michaels hasn't been in the ring in four years. You know, everyone's worried about him. It's like, dude, if you take one wrong shot on that back, you could be paralyzed. You could do this, you know, like we, we don't know. And Triple H is just like, I, I won't let anything happen to him and stuff like that. And I would believe him and stuff like that. But you know, Triple H said it. He's like, they locked up at least four times. And in about four minutes, he was like, holy shit, this guy has not lost a beat. Like, he didn't lose a step. He came back better. I remember watching that and going, this guy hasn't been in the ring for four years? I'm like, he's the best guy on the fucking card. Yeah. Like, it was like... uh you know, it, it reminded me of like uh, when uh, Ricky Steamboat wrestled Jericho, you know, when he came back. Yeah. And like Ricky Steamboat was old, you know, and it's like, what? <laughs> you know, but but this was at another level. Like Sean was competing. Like we were watching, you know, 2002 Shawn Michaels and beyond. I think 2002 Shawn Michaels until he retires is his prime. Yeah. That's prime Shawn Michaels. To hell with all the stuff he did before. Which a lot of the stuff he did before was great as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he wasn't amazing. He was still amazing. But it's just like the man had two awesome Hall of Fame careers. It's like he should be in the Hall of Fame for the first half and then again for the second half. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit before we wrap it up just about the stuff with NXT, man. Um you know, I think it's a huge testament to NXT that he's there. It, you wonder why NXT is so good. And to me, I mean, I think NXT is the best program on a national level. Um, I, I think it has been for a long time, especially like it's not as good right now as it was a few years ago, but a few years ago, it was the best wrestling period. I mean, like you look at like the era where like Balor and Joe were wrestling for the NXT championship. Yes. Holy shit, man. Yes. Or yeah. Zane and Owens or, I mean, you remember when Nakamura came in yeah. and wrestled Sami Zayn. I mean, that match, like that takeover, it was mind blowing how amazing those shows were. Oh and yeah. Takeover I... was blowing whatever WWE was doing out of the water. 
Yeah, I've I've said it best, um, or I've said it best. I've I, said I was like, God damn, Caleb. <laughs> I've I've said it before on this. Pro- I don't know if I've said it on this program, but I've made it a point. I said NXT New Orleans was one of the best wrestling events I had watched on TV in years. Ever. Yeah, it was amazing from start to finish. Just everything about it was great. But I think NXT was a lot better when it wasn't two hours live on USA. Yeah. NXT was better when it was one hour on the network. Yeah. And it was and you didn't see everybody every week. Yeah. They would still have awesome matches though. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if Gargano is challenging for the title. He doesn't come out every week. One week he'll come out, maybe he'll have a match or a, or a promo or a segment. And then the next week, you have like a pre-tape with him where he's just talking about them having this match. You know, building up to the match at TakeOver. It's like, it's almost like the purpose of the weekly NXT shows was to build up to storylines that could be resolved at TakeOver. It's this amazing formula that I, you know, no one's ever heard of. <laughs> it was so hard for me to keep a straight face. I know. Saying that. I know. I was just like, he said it's so serious, but I know he'd be so sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. However, you know, it, you know, I guess we could just have five hours of infomercials, uh, you know, every week to sell the wrestling program the wrestling pay-per-view that happens every three weeks that isn't good. But anyway, uh, you know, so um, I think a lot of what he's doing, I mean, you think about that. Like you, you, you watched him sitting there in the production bay at, at, uh, at full sale at NXT, the performance center. And it's just like Shawn Michaels and triple H are sitting there producing this show. And you're like, who is the who's a better agent than Shawn Michaels? Only ones that could uh, rival him are like Arn Anderson and Pat Patterson. And and I love uh, no nah, man. I like listen. I got all the love in the world for Arn, <laughs> but the shit he's letting go on on AEW, nah. <laughs> Nah, man. However, a lot of people don't know that Arn Anderson was John Cena's agent yeah. during his prime. And I think a ton of Cena's success is owed to Arn Anderson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because he is a genius. And I, I'm sure he's protesting the shit going on over there. There's no one's listening. I'm sure he is, too. And, and But here's the thing. And we could go on about that on another, you know. And we, and we will. But... I'm sure we will, but dude, you know, when you talk about agents in the business or people to learn from, right? Shawn Michaels, it's like, it's like a lot of the times when you go for a wrestling school or you go for wrestling events and stuff like that, you're like, well, what qualifies this person to do this and everything? And it's like, you, all you have to do is just be like, Shawn Michaels is training people. Oh, okay. Well, that's the guy I'm going to go learn from because he's literally done everything in this business. 
oh, Triple H is running this operation? Okay, yeah, it's going to be successful because, I mean, he's done everything, you know? Yeah. I was watching that segment so jealous because it's like, what I would give to for like for us to have a big event, like and and for me to be able to sit down in like a, a conference room and put like three different angles of the match up and just watch it with the talent and talk about it. Yeah. That, that's just such an amazing setup that, you know, like an indie show just doesn't have the capacity for. But Yeah. Um man, I think we've said just about all we could say about this one, man. You got any closing thoughts on this before we wrap it up? I mean, just that this documentary, while I liked it for the most part. It was pretty good. Um, and I like looking back. I like looking back at the highlights of Michael's career. And what that made me want to do was go back and watch a lot of his old stuff. So um, I've just been watching a lot of his old stuff. Um, and I mean, I, I watch it from any era. I think the guy truly is the best in-ring performer because, I mean, dude, he's one of those guys where... Even if he was inebriated, right? Even if he was on drugs or whatnot, he was still reliable enough. Think about this. He's still reliable enough, though, for it to be like, hey, I've got a big event and I need a main event or I need a, a really good match on this card. Boom. Put Sean out there. You've got him. Agreed. Yeah. Um. I, I will say this, like... I am ready for these to be over. I am. Um, like, <laughs> we have three of them left, and, you know, I'm enjoying reviewing them and talking about them, but it's like, when we went and saw the Booker T one, I was really excited. And then when the Austin one came out, I was like, well, we're going to know most of this stuff, but I was still really excited. And then Dark Side of the Ring came back, and I was like, this is not the same. Dark Side of the Ring is so good. And by, and when, you, when you're watching Dark Side of the Ring side by side with these... It's like night and day in terms of the quality, the the, the entertainment value, the knowledge value. Um, they don't have these fuck-offs that don't know anything about what they're talking about. <laughs> um, but I, anyway. I, I agree uh, in a lot of ways. But here's the thing at the same time. They're two totally different programs. But does this not say, though... What I have been saying about WWE ever since the Wednesday Night Wars, that they are some of the most pettiest motherfuckers in the world. It's Vince McMahon, dude. How, yeah, but how much more pettier could you be to be like, hey, we're not going to challenge now. We're, we're not going to challenge actual wrestling shows. We're going to go and challenge now Dark Side of the Ring. Well, and that's the thing, man. It's like Vince McMahon wants, if anybody's going to be making money from wrestling, he wants it to be him. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the, the, what aspect of wrestling. And, yeah. and yes, he hates Dark Side of the Ring. I mean, that's pretty well documented. Well, of course, because, I mean, they haven't said that much nice things about him, or at least that's the way it's come across, especially with the Owen Hart episode and everything like that. And, you know, once this is all over... As we agreed, we are going to do the top 10 sins of Vince McMahon as an episode. And uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. We did? I didn't. Yeah, on the episode. Remember, Ace suggested it on the oh, Pillman, oh, that's right, that's on Pillman right. Part 2, and we said we'll do it. 
That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but you know, I, I don't know, man, because the ultimate warrior, right. I know like I got to finish the documentary for the WWE, but I'm looking forward to the dark side of the ring episode, but it's interesting because Dana warrior <laughs> was uh, tweeted by someone and they yep. have, I saw this. You saw this. The 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 smut and filth um, are not on my level, or something like that. And I went, really? Which that tells me that she probably declined to talk to them. Oh, she did. Yeah, she did. Vince but- McMahon probably went to her. Which I, I like. Fuck her anyway, right? Like yeah. I don't give a single shit about her because. All her shit with the Warrior Award is just so fucking fake and disgusting to me. I'm just like, I hate you. Because I, I, I've i said this a bunch of times. My biggest issue with that shit is it's like the whole idea that like Jim Helwig wanted for the Warrior Award was like for them to take the people that you never hear their names like in like the back of WWE that make all the shit possible and to bring them forward and give them some credit and they're like, oh, well, we can't get any brownie points with the fucking press for that. So we're going to give it to, like, fucking camp counselors and fucking sick kids. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. Like, that's noble and shit, but not for the reason they're doing it. Yeah. You know? I, I and, and I can see that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, his dark side of the ring. And, yeah, dark side of the ring is, is, is in a different league. But... Again, it's not a wrestling show. Right. It, it's done by wrestling fans. And the show is so good that uh, Vice was like, hey, we're going to do another dark side. And we're going to do the dark side of football. And people were really excited about that. Guess what? Not so much. I watched. I watched about five minutes of it and was like, nope. Well, not- it just... It doesn't, it's not going to have the characters, you know, like wrestle, dude. I mean, you've been around indie wrestlers, like just, I mean, it, it, it takes, there's something up here that just has to be a little off for you to decide to get in the ring and throw someone around or be thrown around. Of course. It just is. I mean, you and I both have whatever that thing is. Yes, exactly. I so, mean, I mean, you know, we we have that thing that makes us want to write that stuff and everything like that, and, and want to, you know, put get put through hell and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I I am I'm looking forward for these uh, to be done, but I will say that I'm still looking forward to the Bret Hart and Mick Foley uh, episodes as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to them being done, but I'm also looking forward to covering them. Um, I think the I think the remaining ones will be interesting, especially with the Warrior. It's like I really like that we're gonna get the WWE slant on the shit, and then we're gonna get the dark side of the ring, unbridled truth. And I'm not trying to say that the dark side of the ring people don't have a story they're trying to tell. They certainly do because that's how entertainment works. Yeah. But, but it's not like they're not like personally involved in it and they're not like covering shit up because they weren't there either. They're just making a documentary. They just want to, they just want to expose it. It's an expose rather than a documentary. And and the WWE shit 
has their grimy prints all over it. Um, and you know, we're just, we're over it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, but, um, you know, if you want to learn, if you want to hear more about the dark side of the ring after it airs, I would suggest check out dark side of the podcast, uh, yeah. with the creators of the show and comrade Thompson, obviously. Yep. And, um, you know, Cornette had them on, uh, at the start of the season, yeah. As well, they came on his podcast. Uh, he's been reviewing these uh, briefly on, I think, the experience. I, I kind of just, I don't really keep up with the experience and drive through. Like, it's all the same damn show to me. I like, just listen to the drive through. The drive through is supposed to be the Q&A, but I've legitimately listened to a three-hour episode of the drive through where the first question gets asked at like an hour and 40 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm just like I they're the same show to me. I don't really, you know. They are. Uh but yeah, uh he's been talking about it on there so uh anyway, Caleb man, thank you for joining me uh each and every week, dude. Um you know, we have so many exciting episodes coming up. We have uh you know, the Ultimate Warrior uh that we talked about. We're going to uh be doing AEW's next pay-per-view. Is this double or nothing? Yes. Okay. I I can I I haven't been following it, if you can't tell. Uh, I haven't been either that much. I mean, I don't like modern wrestling without the crowds and stuff like that. Yeah, me either. Uh, we'll review it this coming Wednesday. Um, we're we're going to watch it Sunday. We'll review it Wednesday. It'll be tons of fun. I am looking forward to it. Uh, I think there's going to be some great stuff on the card. So uh, we'll be covering that. We'll be covering Dark Side of the Ring. We'll be covering A&E Biography, Legends, Um Lots and lots of stuff. And after this is all over, I think we should take a break. <laughs> um, until, the, until the second part of Dark Side of the Ring? Yeah, probably not that long. Because I think I think it's going to be quite a break. I think it's going to be a couple months. I would I would imagine. I think maybe they'll do it in the fall. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so, probably. So, anyway, um, all that being said, uh, there's only one thing left to say. And that is that this has been, as we all know... An involved review.